I was in I was in college when Body for Life came out. If any of you remember that, that was an exercise and and nutrition program. And and one of the great things about it, one of the remarkable marketing things about it, was that these there were these incredible before and after photos. There were these people who you know just look like ordinary people, and then twelve weeks or ninety days or sixty days of exercise and nutrition, and bam, they were transformed. And that's what I really cared about when I was in my 20s. That's what I really hoped for. I really wanted to look that way. Of course, now that I'm in my, in my 30s, my, my hopes are a lot more modest. I just want to not be pudgy, you know, make sure my shoulders and my knees and my back still work properly. And then there, there are the things that, that, the scarier things that come with aging, things like heart disease and cancer and, and uh, multiple sclerosis and Alzheimer's and, and methicillin-resistant staphylococcus aureus, and don't look that up, okay? I mean, that's just, there's just lots of, there's scary things that, that, that you think about where that happen to your body as you age. Now, I think there are a lot of things that our world tries to, to offer to us body-wise. They try to sell us things and offer us things and promise us things that we can transform our bodies through nutrition and exercise or therapists can help us to heal our bodies or doctors and medicines can, can cure these, these diseases that we, we have that are a part of our, our life. The truth is, is that in the end, our bodies are perishable. Our bodies break down. They fail. Everybody's does. That's why it's so important for us to see that that God gives us bodies. God is able to give us bodies that last for eternal life, that are suited for that. Our bodies now that we have now are suited for this age, and they are going to wear out the same way that this age is going to wear out. But because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, God can and will give us resurrection bodies. Today, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. What I want you to see first is that God will give us bodies. God will give us bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to start in verse 35, and we're going to read through verse 44. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 44. This is what it says. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Well, Paul has been arguing with the Corinthians or, or, or giving an argument to the Corinthians in verses 30, uh, 12 through 34. Basically, along the lines of saying, the resurrection is real. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and then when he returns, 
those who are in him will be raised with him. But starting in verse 35, it really gets down into the nitty-gritty because many of the Corinthians, influenced by their culture, influenced by their background, influenced by the, the thought patterns of the world, could not believe that. They could not conceive of that. And verse 35 really gets down into the nitty-gritty of what they could not believe. They could not believe that we were going to be raised again and have bodies again. Afterlife, yes. But resurrection, resurrection bodies, that makes absolutely no sense. Except that it does. Paul says, Paul, Paul gives their question, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? I can't, I can't understand how they have a body. And then Paul says, you foolish person. Literally, you fool. So much for there are no stupid questions. Because there are questions and then there are questions. There are questions from people who want to learn. There are questions from people who want to, who, who want to be taught. And then there are questions from those who are skeptical. There are questions for those who want to mock. And we can see how this can apply to a, to a whole host of other doctrines, uh, whether it is uh, how, can, how can there be a loving God who also sends people to hell? How can there be a God who predestines and ordains all that, all that happens and human beings still be responsible? How can God declare the ungodly to be righteous? You know, we can, we can ask all those kinds of questions, but we can ask those questions either with a desire to be taught what the Bible says or with an eye of skepticism. And, and Paul very clearly has a word for those who ask skeptically. You fool. You fool. And he's going to show them why they're fools. He says, what is sown, what is sown does not come to life unless it dies. That is, he's giving the imagery of, of plant life. And he says, your body is like the seed that is sown in the ground. Now then, how many of you, maybe you plant a garden this summer, or maybe you plant a fruit tree, or, or you at least understand the concept, okay? Some of us aren't green thumbs, but you understand the idea. You don't, you don't plant the watermelon seed, you don't plant the, the tomato seed, you don't plant the corn seed, and then wait three or four months and then go dig up the corn seed because you really want to get the corn seed back. You go and you plant the corn seed or the tomato seed or the watermelon seed so that later on that will become a fruit or a vegetable or, or a flower of some sort. Well, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that, that the body that you have now is sown into the earth. But that's not, what, that's not the body that you're going to have again. The body that's going to break down as you age, the body that is mortal, the body that can die, that's not the body that you're going to have. It's like, it's like a seed in a plant. And so there's this continuity. There is, you're going to plant this seed, and you're expecting it to, in some sense, cease to exist. But then you're expecting that same seed to, in some way, exist at a higher and better and more elevated level. That's the way it is with our resurrection body. And there's also this continuity where you plant a tomato seed, you don't, get, you don't get a different kind of plant, you get a tomato plant. When you plant a human body, you get a, you get a, a resurrected human body. That's what the resurrection is like. And what he's saying there is, you get this all the time. You plant, you plant a piece of wheat, and you get, you get, you get wheat. See, you, you say that you can't conceive of a resurrection body, but you see pictures and patterns of resurrection all around you. Every spring and summer, people plant. 
and then they see what they plant turn into something that they didn't really plant, except that they did. It looks very different from what you planted. Each one, how many of you this summer have been able to enjoy this? My wife bought a couple of days ago a watermelon, and I've made a fool out of myself over watermelon over the past couple of days because there was a watermelon seed planted, and then it grew into this, and then I eat it. Well, all of us see that every spring, every summer. We see these pictures of resurrection. We see things planted, and then we see them turn into something that we didn't plant. You know, if God knows how to do that, if God knows how to, to give us pictures of that every year, he knows, how to, he knows how to show us something that is planted, turns into this beautiful flower, turns into this fruit tree, turns into this blueberry bush, turns into this, this fruit or this vegetable. How can we say that we cannot conceive how God could give us bodies that are, that are like ours in some sense, but also much better than the ones that we have? How can we say that? You see why he calls them fools? God has designed in creation all around us good things, good pictures that say, I'm going to raise you from the dead just like this. Well, then he goes on from there. You start in verse 38. He says, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and each kind of seed its own body. The reason why these plants have these bodies, these, these flowers, or these vegetables, or these fruits is because God, God gave it to them. And then he goes back to creation and he says, he's given, for not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans. Okay, think about that. You already have a body. Where'd that body come from? God gave it to you. If God gave you one body, you think that he can't give you another body? Human beings have a certain kind of flesh. And then he's just going through, he's just going backwards, walking backwards from day six of creation to day four of creation. So he says, he gives human flesh for human bodies, human bodies for human beings, then animals. One of the things that, that I like to watch with my family is these nature videos. And you see all these different kinds of animals, animals that live in trees and animals that burrow under the ground and animals that live in extreme heat and extreme cold and in caves and, and all kinds of places. Like you, you cannot, the places that you cannot believe that an animal would live, there are animals living there that God is able to give them a body that is adapted for where they're going to live. God is able to give you a body that is, that is properly designed for eternal life. Then he goes back from that. He says, then you have birds. He's ever, we don't think about this, but there are animals that fly all around us that are flying. Okay, they're flying. They're flying. I mean, and, and they have wings and feathers and, and, and bones that are, that are specially made by God to be light and to be, to be liftable by air currents. He, he made that. He's able to give bodies to them. Think about fish. He's able, he has designed a creature, made a creature, created a creature that swims in water, that breathes water and extracts the oxygen from the water. Have you tried to breathe underwater? Your body's not designed for that. But God is able to give to a creature a body. Some of these fish, they have, they have long noses like, that are like a, like a sword, or they have this little light that sticks out and lures other fish in so they can eat them, and, and fish that lay flat on the ground. God has designed all of these different bodies. 
And he says, that's just the bodies that we see here on earth. He says, there, there are bodies on earth, and then there are bodies, in a sense, in heaven. Sun, moon, stars. The sun that gives solar energy to our planet, that causes, that God uses to cause plant life to grow, by which all of the life that lives on the earth is provided for. God gave that body. The moon that causes, that by which we, we measure time and the seasons and changes the tides. God gave that body. And even the stars. And even stars differing from star. Stars, some stars, some planets with rings around them. And some stars that are far away and some stars that are bright and some stars that are small and some stars that, stars of various kinds. And do you see now why he says, are you kidding me? You don't believe that God can give you a body, a resurrection body? When you look all around you, spring, summer of every year, you look at the earth, you look at the sky, you see bodies that have been given by God all around you, and you can't believe that God would give you a new body? And he goes, this is the way that it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. That is, the bodies that we have, they are, they are in the process of dying. They are fading away. They are beginning to fail us more rapidly as time increases. And yet, what is sown is perishable. What, what is raised is imperishable. How wonderful it would be to how wonderful it will be to have a body where your sight never gives away and your hearing never fails and your organs never stop working. Then he says, uh, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. I think one of the most difficult things about visiting people who are, who are near death is seeing the dishonor. You know a man who used to be very strong. He used to be very respectable. And now, now he's fading away. He is, he is sown in dishonor. But what is it raised as? It is raised in glory. A body that is filled with the, with the virility and the brightness of life coursing through your veins. He says it is sown in weakness. See a strong man. See a strong woman. To, to, to feel to feel weakness in your body and to feel your body start to start to become weak as you age to to see people that you used to I, I know that that when I was growing up like like just to be around older men who could work me into the ground all day long and then to see their bodies they could not lift themselves up out of bed but what is sown in weakness is raised in power to have all your joints work and to be have your muscles filled with strength. That, that's what happens. He says what is sown is a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now then when he's talking about a natural body, he's talking about the kinds of bodies that we have now. The kinds of bodies that perish and fade into dishonor and weakness that are perishable. 
Well, when he's talking about a spiritual body, the, the word that is translated spiritual there, throughout 1 Corinthians, it is not just, it's not a immaterial or intangible body. It is a spirit-empowered body. It'd be helpful if you always thought of everywhere you see that in 1 Corinthians 15, every place that you see spiritual, think of that as capital S spiritual, holy spiritual body. And what we sow is a natural body. This this body that we have is going to give way. But what we are going to receive is a spiritual body, a spirit-empowered body. The body that that is made for this age is fading away, but we are going to have a body that is made for the age to come. A spirit empowered body that lives on eternally. A a spiritual body for eternal life. And so that's what we hope in. That's what every Christian, that's the hope that every Christian ought to have. And and what, what I love about that is that it's not some vague, immaterial, intangible, ethereal, otherworldly kind of idea of eternal life. The picture that Paul is giving is of this, we know what it feels like for our bodies to give way. What would it feel like to have our bodies strengthened even beyond what we've ever known in this life for eternal life? You should be able to conceive of that. You should be able to look around every every spring and summer and every planting season and growing season and see God giving bodies, giving life. You should be able to look around at the animals and the birds and the fish and the, the sun and the moon and the stars and see that God gives you bodies. God can give you a body. You should feel your own body begin to fade, begin to perish, begin to give way. But know in hope that God will give you a body. God will give us bodies. Next, I want you to see that God will give us bodies like Jesus' resurrection body. Pick up in verse 44 again. I stopped in the middle of verse 44. We'll pick up there at the beginning. It says, uh, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Look at what Paul says there. He says, if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. That is, we have bodies now in this age, in this world as it exists now. And there's also going to be a spiritual body, a spirit-empowered body that is going to be suited for the age to come, for the world to come. And this is what it's like. Since Adam was made out of the dust, it's written the first man, Adam, became a living being. The record of Genesis 2 is that God formed him out of the dust and then breathed into him life, and God gave him life. That was the first man. That was the first man, Adam, but the second man, Jesus Christ. That's how, that's how the Bible pictures all of, all of humanity as either being in Adam or in Jesus Christ. 
And he says this second man, Adam, he became a life-giving. This second man, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Capital S spirit. He gives life. The, second, the, the first man received life, but now that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, he gives life to all of those who are in, in him. He says the first man, he was made from dust. Dust always has this, the, the made from, from the dirt. Always has this idea of frailty, of weakness, of perishability, of, of fading. Adam was made, but he was made mortal. He, he was made with the ability to die. If he sinned. But Jesus Christ is the man from heaven. He is the man from above. He is the one who came down and became one of us and died on the cross for our sins. And having died and been raised again, he now has a body that is unable to die. When Jesus was raised, he was raised imperishable. He was raised not able to die. And so those of us who are in Christ, the same way that we bear the image of Adam now, the same way that we have bodies that are made out of this dust, the same way that we have bodies that, are, that are, have the possibility of death. So when Jesus Christ returns, we're going to have a body like his, one that is incapable of perishing, one that is unable to die. Think about everything that happened to Jesus. He was beaten physically. Physically tortured. And then he was humiliated. Even on the cross, he was abandoned by all of his disciples, by all of his friends, and even abandoned by God himself. He knew the mental and spiritual and emotional pain to its, to its peak. And then he knew death. He said from the cross, it is finished. He said from the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit. But then when Jesus was raised from the dead, when he was raised from the dead, he's never going to suffer physically ever again. He's never going to suffer humiliation ever again. He's never going to suffer abandonment from God ever again. He will never suffer death ever again. And if you trust in Jesus Christ, that is your future. You will never, in the resurrection, when Jesus Christ returns, you will never suffer physically again. You will never be humiliated again. You will never be abandoned or condemned by God ever again. You will never die. If we believe that, what hope we have in Jesus Christ. If we have born, if right now we have these, we have these bodies. We've been like Adam, but Adam failed. Adam disobeyed. Adam failed to keep God's word. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came and he was fully obedient to God's commands. And he died on the cross and he was raised again to life. If you trust in him, that is what eternal life is. And that is what you have if you trust in him. So trust in him. Trust in him. Put all of your hope, put all of your, your future in his hands. And know that you will be raised with him. Because we will have, if we have borne the image of the man of dust, if we have been like Adam. But we trust in Jesus we will also be like him.
And so God will give us bodies like Jesus' resurrection body. And then finally, death will be conquered. And death will be conquered. Read verses 50 through 58. It says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul starts off verse 50, I tell you, I tell you this, brothers, this is kind of, it's time to listen up. This is, this is like Paul's version of truly, truly, I say to you. I mean, he is, he's about to tell us something we need to know. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He's connecting to what he's just been talking about. This is, this is why we have to be changed. Because the kingdom, of, look, look at the, even the parallelism there. The parallel, you have the flesh and blood. What he's talking about there is these Adam types of bodies. We can't inherit the kingdom of God with these kinds of bodies. Because the perishable cannot in, inherit the imperishable. The kingdom of God is imperishable. It never ends. The kingdom of God will, will only expand to fill the earth and then it will never end. And so in order for us to inherit that, we have to have bodies that are suited for that. And God is going to make for us bodies that are adapted for that kind of env environment, for eternal life that are made for that. And so he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. That is, this is, a, this is a revelation from God. This is something that was hidden in the past, but now revealed. This is, this is what it is. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. He's talking about there, not all of us are going to die. There's going to be a final generation of Christians that are there at the coming of Jesus Christ. But whether we die before he comes or whether we are alive when Jesus comes, we're all going to be changed. We're all going to receive imperishable, immortal bodies. He says it's going to happen. It's going to, it's going to happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. All of these are ideas of, of instantaneously. Not 12 weeks, not 90 days. It's not a 90-day transformation. When Jesus returns, it will be a split-second, nanosecond transformation of your body into this imperishable, immortal body. The trumpet's going to sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. Those who perish will be raised imperishable, un unfading, undying, not wearing out, immortal. The mortal body will put on immortality. We won't, not, we won't be able to die. And when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. In verses 20 through 28, he had said 
that the last enemy for Jesus to conquer is death. Jesus must reign even as he is reigning now. And at his return, he would destroy even death. Well, this is when that happens. When you're raised immortal, that's when death will be conquered. And Paul does something which he sometimes does. He, he smashes together two Old Testament passages in order to call to mind two different passages. So you go back and you look and you see Isaiah 25, Hosea 13, smash them together. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death is defeated. It's not only defeated. Those who are now resurrected now are doing their touchdown dance. They are mocking the, the other team. Death was our enemy, and now we are, we are sitting there at the end with Jesus Christ with our foot on the neck of death, saying, what you going to do now? Nothing. We will be raised imperishable, immortal. Death has no hold over us. Not only are we, not only are, is death defeated, but we are taunting death. We are mocking death. That great enemy, that great fear that all human beings have, that great fear death, we will one day simply mock death. And he gives this summary in verses 56 and 57 of a teaching that he must have, uh, things that we see in places like Romans 5 through 7 and Galatians 3 and 4, uh, teachings that, that surely he must have taught the Corinthians at another point, he says, the sting of death is sin. That is, sin is, uh, sin is the sting that causes death. Death came into the world through the sin of Adam. And we have inherited both his guilt and his corruption. So that we are guilty in him and we continue to sin like him. And the power of sin is the law. This command that God has given. This, this command that God has said... You will do this if you wish to have life. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat of it, you will die. God taught us that we must live by his word. And yet Adam disobeyed and all of us have disobeyed. All of us, the sin is lawlessness. We have all transgressed the law. We have all gone beyond the law. We are lawbreakers. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and he did not sin. He knew no sin. And he always obeyed God's commands. He always obeyed God's law. And he fulfilled it for us. And then he took upon himself the punishment of the law, to be hung and cursed by God on a tree so that those who would trust in him would be saved. So those of you who believe in Jesus, and if you don't believe in Jesus, believe in him today. And then you will never have to fear the condemnation that comes from your sin. You'll never have to fear death. You'll never have to fear the condemnation of the law ever again, into eternity. You know, that, that immortal and perishable life, that means no fear of condemnation. No fear of ever falling again. 
no fear of stumbling. The worst part about my body now is that my body still is capable of sinning. But in that time, when Jesus comes, I will never know sin again because it will be conquered. Victory has come through Jesus Christ, so trust in him. And so if we really believe this, and I think that this teaching from 1 Corinthians 15 puts it, puts it in a very punctuated, precise kind of way. This is what resurrection eternal life is. It's not what the Corinthians had conceived of it as being. It wasn't just this kind of ethereal afterlife. It wasn't this kind of hazy uh, pie in the sky by and by. It's not that. It was this very certain life to come. And he says, if we really believe that, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable. You know, there were people in Corinth who questioned the resurrection, which is to question the very essence of the good news about Jesus Christ. And we're, we live in a time that is no different from them. We live in a time of gospel twisters and gospel deniers. We must be steadfast and movable. We must not move from the teaching of the gospel that Jesus was raised for our justification, that he died for our sins, that we'll be raised with him. And then he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's the fourth time he's used some form of the word vain. In chapter 15, he's, he's talked about how if we don't believe in Jesus Christ, if we don't believe that he's resurrected, it's all in vain. If, if, if Jesus Christ was not raised, our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Your hope is in vain. But if Jesus Christ really was raised from the dead and we're really going to be raised from the dead, none of our work here is in vain. I w- don't, don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Don't give up. But instead, abound in the work of the Lord. Nothing you do in the Lord is worthless. Nothing that you do in the Lord, none of the, nothing, none of the suffering that you, that you go through, none of the self-denial that you undertake for the name of Jesus Christ, none of the work that you do for Jesus is wasted. It's not. It can often seem fruitless. It can often seem hard, especially on those days. And you know what those days are like. Nothing that you do is in vain. know that, that this, is, this is real. And, you know, even in time, even with the events that happened this past week, this is such a time of, of uncertainty for Christians. But Christians have always lived in times of uncertainty. What makes us steadfast and immovable is the certainty of resurrection. And that causes us to persevere through every difficulty. We have nothing to fear in the future. Our future is resurrection. Whatever may happen between now and then, whatever, whatever might happen to our bodies, whatever ha- might happen to our families or our churches or to, uh, or to our jobs, whatever might happen, resurrection is real. 
And so let us not be unbelieving or doubtful fools any longer. But let us believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And let us believe that we will be raised with him, imperishable, immortal, sown in weakness, raised in power, raised in glory. We will be with him. Father, uh, thank you for your word. And please grant that it would not be a word that is only external to us, but that it would be something that would pierce our hearts and change our lives and cause us to be a, an immovable, steadfast people for your name. Grant that our church would always be abounding in the work of the Lord. That in our daily lives, in our families, in our personal lives, in our, in our personal uh, self-control, acts of self-discipline, in our work lives, in our neighborhoods, that we would always be abounding in the work of the Lord. That we would continue to love one another. We would love our neighbor. We would love our enemies. That we would fear nothing. What can flesh do to us? What can man do to us who have you as our helper? We profess our trust in you and that our hope is in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.